Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO. It's a loose discussion of travel, adventure, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This is episode 258, and it's proudly brought to you by the always-growing TGN supporter crew. We thank you all so much for your continued support, and if you'd like to support the show, please visit thegreynado.com for more details. For those of you who might be listening relatively new to the show, my name is James Stacy. I'm joined by, as always, with my co-host Jason Heaton. Jason, how are we doing? I'm doing pretty well. Gosh, it seems uh, seems strange to do an introduction, but it's probably uh, we're probably overdue. We probably should do that more often for yeah for new listeners. I kind of think I we guess. might need to write it into the blurb at the top. Um, but it, it, <laughs> I think we used to do that. Like we used to, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then you look and like you know a, a few percent growth each month is our like people that at least Buzzsprout believes has never listened okay. to the podcast before, and they might be like. Man, these guys like to some extent sound identical and yeah. say similar things. <laughs> <laughs> Who's who? Yeah. yeah so right. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the lesser of the two voices is me, James, and the uh, the sultry tones of uh, of the Minnesotan kid, uh, Jason, there on the other end of the line. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm in a bit of a weird mood. I'm pretty sleepy. Uh, it's it's not that weird of a time for us to record. It's a little earlier than normal, but a day late because I was busy yesterday. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I feel a little bit um a little bit not not all the way awake yet maybe the coffee hasn't hit or yeah i feel the same might have might, maybe it'll, i'm not sure yeah yeah maybe it'll it'll lend an interesting perspective on the show today yeah it might be a little goofier than normal but uh yeah what, what have you been up to since uh, we recorded last well i was i was uh, elbows deep in a land rover project uh, over the weekend <laughs> and kind of bled into monday i um gosh it was uh, a little over a week ago i think it was that driving randomly one day going to get some firewood or something and and the the windshield wipers stopped halfway up the up the windscreen and after a lot of you know youtube watching and reading and thumbing through the manual i narrowed down what i figured were were a few of the causes and i just kind of started disassembling and testing things and changing parts i you know took apart the steering column and put a new switch on and then took a look at the wiper motor and replaced a little switch on that and then finally took the entire dashboard off and and traced all the wiring and uh, found that there was a, a loose connection at the back of the fuse panel and a missing relay that I I added and put everything back together but it was it was one of those jobs that like you know I I, I as people know from the show uh, I and we uh, don't swear very much in fact we don't swear at all on the show and i don't do it in general but man when i'm that's the one time uh you might hear some some salty language from me is when i'm out putzing with uh, with the land rover you know bloody knuckles and and the whole bit um so my apologies to any of the people walking their dogs by while i was uh you know <laughs> hunkered over uh, you know shouting obscenities uh, but the work is done it seems uh, to happens work. to the best of us yeah Right. Yeah, right. that can be uh, that can be that can be tough. It's smart. It is genuinely smart because you're you're talking to a guy who's probably going to end up doing the opposite. Um, but it's smart to try and get a few of those things done before it's too cold to turn a oh, bolt. Man. Yeah, yeah. Um, or that let alone be outside, even in the garage. Like you've got a garage, I could probably back. I could get most of the Jeep into the garage. Yeah, but like. W- I, I think we're going to have one of those winters that hits pretty hard, like come January. That seems to be what mm. people are suggesting, but oh. who really knows, right? Yeah. And you don't yeah. want to like delay. It's one thing to be like, I'll do it after summer. Like we're, we're using the vehicle pretty frequently. I don't want to take a day yeah, uh, off the road or, or out of service or whatever. And, and yeah, and then you blink and it's like, well, now it's too cold to fix that. So I don't have wiper blades in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was, that was definitely on my mind and then it's, it's kind of a busy week for, for me and, and, uh, 
and then yeah the days are getting shorter it's getting colder and and while the the smaller land rover without the roof fits in the garage this is this is parked next to it in the driveway so you know i'm thinking to myself like every every sunny day is one one more march towards towards cold and snow and so i was i was motivated yeah. and, and got that done but uh yep knock on wood it, it works fine and, and all's well um but yeah, winter's coming. And, and you know, speaking of busy weeks, I, this is just a, a bit of a side note that people might get a kick out of. I've got my, my high school class reunion uh, this Saturday night, and it's the first one I've been to in decades. So it should be, oh, wow. uh, it should be a fun. We're, we're, Kashani and I are going to drive down to Milwaukee, where I grew up, and, and attend that and, and check in with, with old friends I haven't seen in, in many years, uh, most probably since graduation, and, and try to explain to them exactly what I do with my life now <laughs> i mean, just want to have like a little pamphlet yeah i think so yeah it's Bring always a couple hard to copies look. of the book it's, it's a podcast oh what's it called the gray nato what's a nato what's a you know what's it's a, like oh boy the gray what yeah 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 exactly so but anyway that's uh like is that a military that's my thing? life yeah <laughs> <laughs> and what about you you're back from you're back from germany you uh you I'm went to like i saw the watch i saw your review it looks pretty cool uh how was the trip yeah the trip was great. Yeah. Uh, easy trip in. You always meet like a, a cast and crew of people. There, there were only a few folks, uh, Juan and Take and, and that, that were there that I recognized from years before. And the Leica team is, is largely the same. Uh, so got to meet some new photographers and folks like that. And then, yeah, got to see, um, got to see some watches. Uh, you know, the, the main thing being that they used this event, which is the annual celebration of photography, I've talked about in the past. I've done Hodinkee podcast from there in the past. I think this is my third or fourth time going, and they used the event to you know. Last year it was largely the M6 with the you know the rehash of the M6, basically a direct recreation, but with modern standards. And then uh, this year they announced the ZM11. Um, so those of you who maybe don't pay much attention to Leica's watches, which uh, as a watch enthusiast, I can to a certain extent understand not accepting a, a non-endemic brand into the fold. Leica announced back in, I think, 2018, the intention to make the L1 and L2. And then those watches actually came out sort of last year as exceedingly limited, uh, mostly due to production scale. They're making you know less than a thousand a year of the L1 and L2, which have since been renamed the ZM and ZM, uh, ZM1 and ZM2. Hmm. Uh, hope everybody's following along so far. <laughs> it's just two watches. Uh, the original two were five fig- very low five-figure watches. I think the L1 was right around 10 grand, and the L2 is right around 14, it being a GMT. These are highly customized, you know, proprietary movements from a German firm, basically fully German sort of watches but quite high end very hard to come by and i i think surprising to me jason you can weigh in of course but as it turns out quite successful hmm. um you know only offered in a few stores around the world and 30 percent of the of the zm1 and zm2s were sold to people who have never owned a leica before which i huh. find shocking huh so they went and do you, do you think those people went and sought them out or do you think they were in the camera store browsing for cameras and saw this this watch and thought hmm, I, I, mean, I genuinely don't i genuinely don't know i think i think that um i would say so, some of that percentage has to come from the two cultures that love engineering possibly more than any else germany yeah. and japan mm-hmm. i may maybe that there's a pull there uh, but the watches were successful despite the fact that a lot of um enthu- of the enthusiast culture kind of wrote off the concept mm-hmm. i took a, a very considered and in-depth look at them i can 
of the ZM2, to be fair, um, and and really enjoyed the watch. Uh, and then now they're following up with the ZM11, which is an entire sort of rethinking. Different case, a Swiss movement now instead of a, a, a German movement. The movement is from Chronode. It's a you know 60-hour, 4 hertz uh, automatic movement with a date. Uh, Nice-looking movement for sure. The watches are in the range of like 6800 to $8,200. Mm-hmm. dollars and uh, you can get them in steel or titanium um, I kind of think of it like it, it like a they they kind of hit me a little bit like um, the dial design is a little bit Halios yeah like a tropic it has that just kind of start clarity large markers that sort of thing um, or the sorry the Seaforth more than the tropic and then but beyond that it they have a bit of like an Ichapod vibe yeah but a little bit more brutalist than scandinavian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. if that makes sense where the ichapods are all curves this is a nice sort of mix of hard angles meeting curvature yeah it's a 41 millimeter watch regardless of the metal you choose uh it comes in three dial arrays uh, one is uh the the concept of the dial is like shutters on, uh, on a window yeah. so there's a top color and then there's indents or lines kind of in some ways similar to say like a modern seamaster with the waves, mm-hmm. but these are straight lines and they're asymmetrical in terms of their layout. And there's a color under that. So the blue one has black under that. That's pretty subtle. The brown black version, which they call coffee black or coffee brown, I can't remember, um, is like a gradient dial that has a, a brown accent. And then the launch edition is a black dial with red in the shutters, the blinds, whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's it's like actually pretty subtle. You kind of have to turn the watch and it has to catch the little well of the finishing mm-hmm. to actually fire. But when it does, it's a cool, especially black red is quite a cool look. Um, otherwise, it's a single crown to operate a very conventional, straightforward sort of watch. Um, I saw lots of, especially on the bracelet, I saw lots of comparisons to like Apple Watch kind of aesthetics to um, Ocean 2000s, like early uh, I, earlier IWC stuff, kind of curvy titanium. Yeah but toolish yeah. at the same time. Um, I think some of those comments were meant as a dig, like that wa- these design, but those are both watches in my mind that are quite beautiful. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm kind of hit or miss on the aesthetic of the Apple watch. And, and obviously there's no like in a uh, factory integrated bracelet for an Apple watch to, to my understanding anyways. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Leica one is quite nice. It's one of those like deeply articulated, similar to what you see on like a Moser streamliner um and and it gives the watch this integrated look because it's hooded lugs with a push button release so if you turn the watch over on either of the two any of the two strap ends the lug connectors have like a little button very similar to what you would find on like the lens release on a m yeah and you can pop the strap off and put another one on and mix and match various ones with various cases. And if you buy a titanium case, then the straps have titanium hardware or the bracelet is titanium. It's that sort of thing. Hey, I don't know how to read necessarily like the, how, how successful these will be. The decision to go to a lower price point and a, a more readily produced movement or a movement that can be produced at a higher production scale would suggest that they intend to sell more than say the thousand or so that they sell the ZM one and two right now. Yeah. Um, I, otherwise, I mean, as as just a watch, I think it's nice. I like them. I, I largely find them inoffensive. I think when I think of Leica, I think of cameras, and that's the product I like from them. And I don't know that I personally would want a Leica watch, but I was there with other folks who were kind of watch and camera people, and they were very excited about these watches. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily professionals in the the watch space yeah 
um, but they they enjoyed watches, had nice watches with them. We're talking long as Rolexes, that sort of thing. And uh, and then you get in chats with the folks and they're like, oh, I want that blue one or I'll see if I can get a launch edition or I have an L2, so I don't think I need the, or sorry, pardon, I have a ZM2, so I don't think I need the 11, but I do really like the product. So it's, it has a home. I just think it's one of those ones where the the overlapping, the sort of Venn diagram of like, Hardcore watch enthusiasts, those who are, you know, all over a Hodinkee comment section or otherwise, or, you know, deep into watch Instagram are kind of hard on a lot of stuff. And I think the the like is a good target for that sort of a, a vibe. But then on the other side, there seems to be a group of people that know and enjoy Leica and don't mind extending that knowledge and joy to a watch, which I can't really argue with. Yeah. Theoretically, next year, there'll be in essentially any store that carries Leica. Hmm. The next time you're out to the big city or whatever or, or downtown and trying to kill time on a lunch break, swing by and take a peek. Doesn't cost anything to look at them. I guess the risk in that crossover for, in terms of the, the, the point of sale is that, that you're going to have uh, staff in, the, in these stores that are used to selling cameras and know a lot about cameras and then you're expecting them to talk to potentially a, a, a knowledgeable watch enthusiast who's going to come in and, Mm-hmm. and be looking at the watch and then and then they're going to have to kind of talk them through it but then you know that's that's a, a minor point that i'm sure they can overcome but I, I was curious about the event itself because you know it was a it was a celebration of photography event um and i and, and you as well obviously have been to many watch launches and press events for for watches and how did they switch gears between you know kind of a photography event and then if we can have your attention please we have something to show you and then i mean was it was it run like kind of a typical watch launch or was it sort of an aside to the main event yeah these these things at the Leica compound which is uh, called lights park um in wetzlar or just outside of downtown wetzlar but in the area of wetzlar germany just north of frankfurt uh, they run it a little bit more like a convention mm. you get a paper and they text it to you but you get a paper schedule and that's kind of your schedule and you'll walk around with other people and go hey are you going to this thing next and they have something else and oh i see okay. everybody's kind of going to different programs and so I was on sort of a watch specific program. And then that that deal also included an exclusive that I can't talk about yet, um, which may or may not be watch related, but it is Leica related. So my, that was kind of my program was the the watch tuned one, whereas there were other folks there who were on more of a camera tuned one. And then the main evening events were kind of for everyone. I see. But yeah, other than that, I, I enjoyed the watch and the trip was great. And, and the other side of it was I, I got home. And uh, now I'm home for a little while. Nice. Uh, I don't think I'm traveling until Dubai Watch Week, hmm. uh, which should be good. Um, and yeah, just kind of hanging out at home, messing around with some stupid projects. Do you know who, <laughs> do you know who Dan Flavin is or Flavin? I don't. He's an artist that works in like neon tubes. Oh. If you've ever been to like Dia Beacon huh. or, but it, it's these arrays of like neon tubes. Yeah. That sometimes are like it'll be like a single one in a corner, and it's the you know it's and in, in it's essentially installation art. Yeah, I've really wanted one of those lights for my living room, hmm. and I'd probably like to if I can make one or design one that I'm happy with that integrates with the smart light system in my office. I'd like one in the office as well. Huh. Um. So I'm. I went. I thought I had a good idea, and it turned out not to work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out they make they make like spray paint that's frosted glass. Wow. Okay. I didn't, I, I don't, my mind can't quite wrap around the idea yeah. of translucent spray paint, but okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, and so I bought a like a T8 guard. So if you know like like strip lighting for a ceiling, those bulbs mm-hmm. are come mm-hmm. in T sizes. Mm-hmm. And then back in the day when the CFL bulbs would have um, like glass housing, you you could buy a guard that would slide over those and, and then install. So if, if the light took a big hit and broke, it would oh. like contain sure the stuff. Yeah. Um, so I bought one of those housings. It's just like a T8 guard. It's like eight bucks at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. And I bought a whiz like LED strip, mm-hmm. you know, like it's two two meters of foldable soft material that has LEDs in it. Oh, cool. And then the smart controller, huh. and I spray painted it, frosted it, and I did like I don't know, <laughs> I maybe have to do like eighty more coats. I have no idea, but then I run the <laughs> the system up into the bulb, and it looks good. It's about it's a little less than four feet long, and it's nice and bright. But the problem is that the the frosting isn't enough to properly occlude the intensity of the LEDs. So oh. it just looks like something from like a, like a carnival. Oh like you yeah. You can see yeah. every hot point from the LED. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want, like, if you look up, I'll put some in the, in the show notes of, of Flavin's work. If you look it up, it's like the light is like a lightsaber. Like it's smooth huh. and even and kind of white hot in the center. Yeah. And they come in different sizes. So it, look, if anybody listening is going like, I know exactly what the thing is that you're trying to buy. Mm -hmm. It either needs to be like smart. So like on the Philips or Wiz or can integrate with Google Home or needs to have a heart, what I would call like a dead switch or a hard switch so that Mm -hmm. I can connect it to a a smart, a smart plug. Oh, sure. And to to turn it on and off. But I like some of these ones because you see them and they can change color and Wiz makes a version of this sort of that's like a lamp that sits in the corner. It's a little bit too not what I'm looking for. I want like basically it just looks like a raw bulb of neon that you can like lean against the wall or put behind a couch for a backlight or that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. reaching out to the crew on this one as I have hunted around and the stuff that I can find that makes sense is so expensive. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Like just impressively. So yeah. Um, So yeah, that's, that's basically the dumb project I'm working on. Well, it's good good that you're home and you you've got the time to kind of putz with that. I mean, that's that's what being home is all about. That's what we miss yeah. when we travel, right? You 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 know you think about all these things that you want to get done, and then you can finally get the time to do it. So that's that's great. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm starting a new career as a guy that makes LED lights. <laughs> well, we got a fun show, one that we haven't uh, a topic or a kind of a part of our series that we haven't done in in quite some time. Um, but before we time, jump yeah. into book club, uh, what do you have on your wrist? Yeah, I'm wearing another new GMT. Uh, that's the Citizen Series 8 GMT. They've uh, loaned me one of the sort of Pepsi, the blue-red with the blue dial oh, yeah. Uh, example. Yeah. So this one I was kind of interested in when it was announced. I wrote up the story. It's a 41-millimeter flyer GMT from the brand's sort of Agenta-esque, you know, integrated sports bracelet sort of watch, uh, which is the Series 8. Uh, this uses the 9054, which is similar to the Miyota 9075. It's a 4 hertz, 50-hour power reserve movement with a uh, flying GMT, which is great. You know, the similar movement that we've seen in that Bulova that we talked about recently and uh, movie that we, you know, slowly seeing in more and more watches. Pricing $1,700, so you're above the collar dive GMT from Seiko, the SPB383 and similar. Um, and, and you're a, a small jump up from, or I guess a decent, you're a bit of a jump up from the Bulova and that sort of thing. Um, but I think the idea is that this feels like a, maybe a more luxurious experience with the bracelet. Yeah. They had these, I think they were just 
released or just announced shortly before wind up in Chicago, I believe. Um, and I remember they had them at their booth there. Um, or I'm not sure if it was the series eight GMT or just the series eight, but, uh, um, they had them at wind up. That's where we saw them first. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're nice looking watches. They definitely feel kind of a step up from what you normally expect uh, when you handle a citizen, even in, in just aesthetics, but also in the feel. I mean, they, they just, they feel a lot more luxurious than, than the citizens I've been used to. Um, but, the, but they also have this heft to them, right? I mean, they, they look big and I don't know, not having had a chance to wear one, do they, do they wear big? They kind of wear big, but not actually on your wrist. Mm. Like I have it on and it has this chunkiness to it that I like. Yeah. But you know when the watch is kind of smaller than its chunkiness on your wrist? Yeah. It's kind of that vibe. It's it's a little bit difficult to explain because they're heavy. They're a little on the thick side. The bracelet's like not a slight dressy bracelet. It feels quite sporty. Yeah. They have a nice sort of, um, you know, profile in that they're they're big, but because of the very short lugs, thanks to the integrated bracelet... And the drape of the bracelet itself, I found them just very comfortable. Mm. I think I like most of the vibe here. I just wish they had an option with like maybe a more basic dial. Right, right. Both of the steel versions have this sort of carbon fibery blue or black dial. Yeah. And I think especially in the red blue. So this one I have the blue of the dial is very different than the blue of the bezel. Mm. And then the GMT hand is has an orange pointer, which I don't really get. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. how do we get to orange yeah um it's not bad i just think like if this if either the dial color was darker blue so it matched the bezel it might feel a little bit more cohesive and i feel like a navy blue and orange makes more sense than like a royal blue and orange but yeah there's definitely nothing wrong with blue and orange those was a perfect color combo yeah i like the date execution i like the big markers the bezel's quite easy to use and quiet uh, bi-directional uh, not the kind of thing you're going to bump or or set incorrectly, but a nice, smooth, quiet. You know, you wouldn't mind quickly spinning this on a, in a quiet airplane or or something like that. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as a quiet airplane. But uh, <laughs> anyways, um, but yeah, uh, I'm I'm impressed by it. I like it. I think it's it's another like interesting option at this price point. The gold one, which is a uh, gold tone with sort of a brown and off-white bezel mm-hmm. has like a frosted texture to the dial that I think looks pretty cool and and I saw that one briefly in person at wind up and it looked pretty good. I think they're handsome watches. They're just not there's not a lot that's subtle about them and I think there's it you know the the case design, the bracelet, everything's very bold and then you add the texture of the dial and the and the bright colors and it's it's just a bit it's a bit much for my taste. Um but I I do think they look very premium. I think they look like a real kind of step up for for citizen so yeah cool yeah. cool piece I'll- yeah it'd be, and, i mean and it's citizen so you never really know what could happen we could see the stealth version of this in titanium and gray yeah yeah you could keep the orange gmt hand and yeah. it, i think it would feel a little bit more for lack of a better term like tactical right rather right. than sort of lux yeah um, but yeah. i think for the lux thing and for the price point they've done a nice job 13 and a half millimeters thick for a watch with um uh you know a gmt movement and in a chunky bezel and which still and water resistance of 100 meters mm-hmm. uh not too bad uh it's a passive crown for those wondering so that's your that's your 100 meters it doesn't screw down yeah citizen doing it doing what they do yeah right well mine's quick and All easy right, you want to talk uh, some books well no i yeah i mean we, <laughs> oh we've got your we got your watch <laughs> well my watch is uh is predictable it's, it's a given right? Yeah, I still have the the, the Pelagos FXD on. Um, you know, sorry to be a, a broken record here. I'm still 
still in love with it. And, and I almost think it's not even so much that anymore. I mean, which I am, I still love this watch, but it's just so comfortable and such a versatile and kind of perfect thing to wear in terms of weight and strap comfort and timekeeping and all that, that I just don't have any need to take it off. I almost forget I have it on all the time now. Um, you know, I had it on the whole time I was, you know, fiddling with the defender and I take it running. I've been kind of leaving the Garmin behind. And, um, so yeah, it's just kind of become, become an easy sort of one watch. Um, and I gosh, it must be coming up on a month with it now, which, uh, used to seem like a long time to wear just one piece, but not with this one. So very nice. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now do you want to talk some books? <laughs> Let's talk some right. books. Yeah. We, we've, we've done, uh, I think only two book club episodes before this. We did one during isolation tapes that was back uh, during COVID back in, in 2020. Um, and then we did uh, a second one. I think it was episode 222. And uh, so, yeah, we've, we had a fairly short list. And I think, you know, whereas with film club, we, we usually do five movies a piece. We're with book club, you know, books take longer to read, find, et cetera. Uh, we're going with uh, three books each um, for, for book club. And yeah, it looks like we have a pretty interesting list from what I'm, I'm checking out in the notes here today. So, Yeah, I think it's a fun one. You uh, want to give one of them first? Yeah, sure. You know, a lot of my books that I'm doing these days uh, are are read or listened to, actually, as audiobooks. And so it was pretty easy to kind of go back through my audiobook app and kind of look at my history. And, and a couple stood out, um, and, and two of the three here are from uh, audiobooks I've listened to in the past couple of years. And the first one is from a Canadian. Uh, Chris Hadfield, the uh, retired astronaut uh, who's known for singing uh, up in the space station, um, a number of talks he's done. He's a Speedmaster guy, uh, just an interesting, smart, uh, funny guy. And and he wrote his first novel um, a couple of years ago, and it's called The Apollo Murders. And I think I talked about this in a final note uh, a while back. Um, but I, I wanted to include this in book club because it is an excellent book and it's, it's, so it's a mystery as the name suggests, uh, it's, it's fiction, but, you know, given Hadfield's experience as an astronaut and, and living on the space station and kind of just being, being one of those guys who loves to educate people about space travel, uh, you can really tell that he has the knowledge of, of that subject matter. And then he combines it with a really engaging murder mystery and it's set back in, uh, the early seventies, uh, during in a fictional uh, Apollo 18 mission, actually 1973. So, you know, we know that, that there were 17 Apollo missions uh, in reality. And in, in the case of this book, he, he, he postulates or puts forward this idea that there's a, a final top secret mission to the moon, uh, called Apollo 18. And it's kind of told from the perspective of a former sort of semi-retired, uh, pilot, uh, slash astronaut who has called in to, to work at mission control, um, to kind of oversee some security measures, uh, with this final flight. And lo and behold, there's, there's some intrigue that goes on, uh, with, uh, sort of someone who isn't, uh, what he seems, um, and, and some intrigue both on the ground and orbiting the planet. And it is a really gripping story. And so if you're, if you're someone who likes, kind of the history of the space race, uh, which to me, this, this era kind of that Mercury, Mercury and Apollo era of, of space travel and, and kind of the competition with the Soviets at the time, uh, is always just so interesting to read. I loved, you know, the right stuff and, uh, Apollo 13 and, and all these stories. And, and this fits right in, in a fictionalized way. 
And he does a great job. Uh, I really, really highly recommend this book. He's written a follow-up now. I don't think it's a sequel by any means. I, I can't wait to read his second novel, but I, I can't recommend this book uh, enough to, to somebody that's looking for, a, a, a good murder mystery, but also one that that is set during during a really interesting uh, time in, in human history. And, and Hadfield's just great. So, yeah, The Apollo Very Murders. Cool. Yeah, yeah. That's great. I wonder. I wonder if you went back and uh, do you remember? There's a, like a, a found footage horror film called Apollo 18. I do remember that. I never saw From, it. But yeah, yeah. Over a decade ago, right? Yeah, it's got to be at this point. Yeah, 2010, something like that. Yeah, I remember watching that and being like, "This is a neat premise." Of yeah, like a, there's a, a, you know some sort of presence on the moon. Right, um, right, right. That said, this you know. It's, <laughs> Put by Hatfield sounds like quite a bit yeah. more. Uh, I don't know, derived from reality to a certain yeah. extent, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, I think I used to live near him. Oh, really? Um, okay, that's, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I think he posts occasionally on Instagram. He's got he's got a cottage uh, somewhere, probably in the, the same neck of the woods as uh, maybe it's even on your same lake. You'll see him out there diving one day. Uh, <sighs> you Hatfield, I mean, an astronaut's probably up in the Muskoka, is not not oh, slumming okay. it down in the Quarthas yeah. with us. <laughs> But yeah, that's great. I, it, yeah. It's been on my uh, Kindle list since you recommended it. Yeah. Um, so it, it will live there until I get to uh, get to another book. But uh, yeah. I guess I'll jump in with my first. I've got, uh, I really, I, I wanted to make an effort to not just pick ones. I, these are almost exclusively ones we have talked about in the past, but I didn't want to pick ones that were like really obvious choices. I look back over the list from the previous two, which I think is episode 104 and 183. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah. I believe were the book clubs one and two. And I wanted I wanted to shift things a little bit, and also kind of since definitely since we did 104, mm-hmm. partly because of um, actually exclusively because of you, Jason. First, your love of Bond, and then second, your foray as a thriller writer mm-hmm. has kind of changed my tune on fiction. Yeah, uh, so I wanted to represent at least a little bit of that, and uh, and 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 also to keep it timely because last week it was announced that this will be Michael Mann's next movie. Oh, so yeah. we're gonna st- we're gonna kick off uh, book club three with uh, Heat two. Oh yeah, uh, which I talked about when it that. came out. Yeah. yeah, I read it. I I think I probably finished it the weekend it came out. I absolutely wow. loved it. Wow. Um, and then I, you know, ten days ago at this time or something, uh, Michael Mann confirmed that that'll be his next movie. Huh. Uh, the book came out while they were working on Ferrari, which I believe is out or about to be out, and um, and then. The next one will be Heat 2, which is sort of a prequel and a sequel to Heat. Hmm. It gives you the earlier, so it gives you kind of the background on Macaulay's crew, which is um, De Niro's character in the movie, who we believe will be played by um, Adam Driver in in the future one as young Macaulay and um, or younger Macaulay. And then it also gives you Vincent Hanna's like a a group that he worked with or, you know, a a cop outfit, I believe, in Chicago that he worked with before the L.A. story picks up. Then the movie transitions to kind of the day after where heat ends. Oh, really? Uh, Jumps ahead in time. Chris Shaherlis moving forward. Oh. And and kind of tells the next wave of his story, so that was Val Kilmer's character from the 1995 film. Yeah. Uh, I I absolutely love this. Um, I'm there's no question I'm going to reread it this fall. Um, once once I'm inside a little bit more, and yeah. you know if we're back fully into like sweaters and and you know <laughs> yeah yeah reading by the fire and that sort of right. thing. Um, th- this will be on the list, but I, I highly recommend it. If you enjoy the movie, I can't imagine a world in which you wouldn't enjoy the book. Yeah. Um, but I also think it's kind of fun where. The first, the first core media for Heat is a movie, 
And the second one is the book, whereas usually you start with a book and then they make a movie you're unhappy with. Yeah. Um, and it's possible that Michael Mann won't make Heat 2. Uh, it won't be what we all want it to be, which is, you know, the capture the vibe of Heat. But if we're lucky, it'll be like a very moody, shot at night, wet street, sort of four and a half hour long uh, <laughs> <laughs> film. Um, but the book is great. It, go- it kind of takes you all over the world and there's weapons deals and uh, it's yeah it's awesome i, I highly recommend wow, it wow he's having a moment i mean ferrari and the he book is, yeah. And, yeah he's the best yeah 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 i'm excited for ferrari i'm, I'm like i'm i guess i'm becoming a bigger fan of adam driver yeah and and i'm excited to see him do uh do a man sort of performance mm-hmm. and apparently they get along really well which usually like that's typical to you either kind of do or don't with yeah. man as a as an actor and if you do it, it that's where he seems to do some pretty cool stuff so huh. i'm pumped to see that way more pumped for the idea that in three four years something like that i'll be watching heat too yeah so yeah you got the book until then and it's a goodie nice cool what have you got for us for uh, second pick all right number two is a classic um one that that maybe a lot of people have actually read um and and this this book it really kind of put the hook in me i, I read it many years ago it was actually in the early years when Gashani and I first met and we were up at a cabin uh, way up in the North Woods. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, let me give the title of the book and then and then this idea of reading it in the cabin might seem a little <laughs> absurd. It's uh, The book is In Cold Blood uh, by Truman mm-hmm. Capote. Now, this book was released in 1965 um, and it was, a, it was it's a true story. So he's writing about a, uh, a, a pretty savage murder that took place in a, in a very small kind of farming community in Kansas back in 1959. Uh, in which an entire family was um, killed in their sleep in their in their fairly remote home, and it was it was a, a nat- national sensation. I mean, the the, the murders uh, horrified people. The trial captivated people, hmm. and Capote, who was you know a New York based kind of society guy, um, well known writer at the time, decided that he was going to 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 travel to Kansas and and write about this this horrific event and the story. And he did it in such a way that it kind of changed the way, um, well, not just, I think it's sort of, I don't want to say I'm not knowledgeable enough to make this statement authoritatively, but kind of kicked off true crime in the form that, that we all know and love these days where, where, you know, it really captivates people. And I think what was interesting about this book is that he not only kind of explores the, the murders and the investigation that followed, but he actually goes and interviews and becomes quite close with the the, the murderers themselves. Um, visits them in prison um, right up until their ultimate fate. Uh, you know, uh, in terms of capital punishment happened. Um, and and there's a certain level of I'm not sure sympathy is the right word, but he he really tries to dig in and understand what drove these men to do what they did. And I think that that aspect of looking at the other side was was fairly revolutionary i think rather than you know you you could easily view these these men these murderers as as just full-on evil monsters and i think he tried to really understand what it was in their pasts that that made them do this Uh, so gashani and i were reading this book we we brought it uh actually i think it might have been even like a first edition copy or something it was an old hardback that my parents had on their shelf um and and we brought it up to to this cabin where we were staying for a week up in the Boundary Waters area up in northern Minnesota, and and we just kind of passed it back and forth over over a few days, and just read it aloud to each other, which you know was kind of creepy to do in a in a in a remote cabin somewhere. But um, I don't know that maybe the experience of reading it out loud and kind of sharing it with somebody else um, just it really put the hook in me. And I think 
you know, it's it's a fascinating story. It's a it's a very seminal piece of of nonfiction literature, um, and I think it really helped uh, Capote kind of establish himself uh, back then as well. So, um, if you haven't read it, definitely worth it. I, I think there was a movie version. I'm sure there was, uh, which I haven't seen, but uh, yeah, it's it's worth a read. It's it's really well written, and it's a it's a fascinating story. So. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, I literally sold while you were talking. I bought it on Amazon. Two bucks. Wow. Wow. <laughs> there you um, go. Yeah. For a, a double, a double header from Capote. I got in 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 Cold Blood and uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, nice. Which I've not read. <laughs> nice. So these are these are great. Yeah. Man, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, I'm in. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Good. Good. All right. What's number two? Uh, sort of in a in a like a loosely similar fashion, true crime, crime, that sort of thing. Um, it, I've talked about it on the show when I read it because it was one of my favorite books that I read of uh, last year. It's um, going to be bookended by thrillers in my picks today. So this is your kind of um, nonfiction uh, essay collection, if you will. I'm a real sucker for essay collections, and this is Rogues: True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks by the wonderful Patrick Radden Keefe. Hmm. And like I did when I talked about it, I don't know, 50 episodes ago, something like that. uh, I just absolutely love this book. Um, So I I can give you the the Goodreads sort of um, breakdown here Uh, from the prize winning uh, New York Times bestselling author of Say Nothing and Empire of Pain, 12 enthralling stories of skullduggery and intrigue by one of the most decorated journalists of our time. It's like beautifully written. Hmm. It's these these deep long investigations into very complicated stories of crime and and otherwise and uh so he this is a, a man that's won the national magazine award uh, the orwell prize the national book critics circle oh. award uh like a celebrated author and uh this is their description. Keith brilliantly explores the intricacies of forging $150,000 vintage wines, examines whether a whistleblower who dared to expose money laundering in a Swiss bank is a hero or a fabulist, spending time in Vietnam with Anthony Bourdain, and chronicles the quest to bring down a cheerful international black market arms merchant while profiling the passionate death penalty attorney who represents the worst of the worst hmm. among other works of literary journalism. It's like just a collection of wild stories. There's, they don't all have one theme, as you can tell, like rogues, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's awesome. Whether it's art theft, uh, espionage, uh, huh. you know, political control. It's great. I loved yeah. every, I loved every one of these stories. Oh, it sounds great. It sounds really good. Um, were these previously published in, the New Yorker, I or, so. or oh, they were. Yep, okay, so I believe each one was... New York Times um, okay. for, for a good for a good bunch of it, and I think, yeah, yeah I think say nothing was kind of um, one of his, you know, kind of like, like big moments again. But if, if I think if you follow different, whether it's the novels or the the kind of investigative journalism pieces, yeah, you might have a different read on them. But I I, I have say nothing stored up in my uh, in my Kindle as well to follow up. So. Can't can't Very recommend cool. it enough. If you see this guy's name on anything, just go ahead and read it. Huh. Good to know. I'd never heard of him actually. Shame on me, but that's uh, that's great. Cool. All right. What have you got for uh, your third and final? Yeah, final book. Um, this one's a bit of an oddball, um, but a fascinating story. It never quite uh, left my brain. I think the story might even be more captivating in my head than than even the book. But the the book is uh, is worth uh, reading for sure. And it's it's from a guy who's better known as a filmmaker, um, Werner Herzog, um, the, the, the German film director, uh, mm-hmm. wrote this very short, my goodness, it's, it's nonfiction, but there's a lot of speculative sort of fictional fictionalizations going on in this book too. If you know Herzog and his films, which are just kind of wild on their own, 
um, that, that won't seem implausible to you. Uh, this book is called The Twilight World. And hmm. it's a fairly recent book. I think it was, you know, it was released in uh, early 2022. And it tells the story of um, a Japanese soldier who, after World War II ended, was told um, by his superiors to stay on high alert and stay hidden in the jungles of the Philippines uh, until he was told to, to come out and, and, and surrender or give up. Um, so the Japanese forces had withdrawn from the Philippines. He was left behind um, to kind of maintain sort of a guerrilla jungle sort of defensive position. Uh, and he stayed that way for, I think, like 40 years or, or something, uh, <laughs> hiding, hiding in the jungle. Uh, was an old man by the end of this all. Um, and he was very suspicious of anybody that would approach him uh, to the point where he would, you know, tell them he was going to kill them and, and, you know, threaten them with a gun. And, and he was in, in deep hiding. So he wasn't like in the suburbs here. This was was in the jungle. And, and Werner Herzog had learned of this guy because ultimately, I think it was in the 80s, um, a, a, a journalist had, had approached this guy, had heard of, of this guy, Onoda was his name, the soldier, um, and found him in the jungle and, and was almost killed for, for finding him because the guy didn't trust anybody. He thought everybody was a spy. He would see airplanes going overhead and thought they were American warplanes, etc. And when the journalist approached him, he said, I'm not coming out until unless I'm commanded by a, a superior officer. So the journalist went back to Japan and brought back a high up, high ranking uh, military guy and, and went back to the jungle and finally Onoda, uh, you know, put down his weapons and walked out of the jungle. And he was met with kind of a hero's reception in Japan and kind of took on mythical status. And, and so Herzog was very captivated by the story. And he met with Onoda uh, as an old man. This was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, ultimately this book came out of it. And, and Herzog, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it's good storytelling. I listened again, I listened to the audiobook version of this and Herzog mm -hmm. reads it and he's got an amazing oh, voice. Perfect. But, uh, yeah. And it's a, it's a short read. It's like 140 pages or something, the book. So it's, it's a pretty quick read, but it's, it's just a fascinating story. And, and, you know, to, to have Herzog telling this story, uh, kind of makes it all the better. So check it out. The Twilight World. I would love to see this made into, you know, a film using kind of archival film footage or something with, with Herzog's voiceover it would be really cool. But until uh, then, we've got the book, and it's a good one. That's great, man. I, I remember people talking about Herzog had written a book. I think maybe within the same conversation as like Michael Mann had written a book. It's you know two well-known directors, yeah, uh, turn, turning to do books, which is kind of interesting. I, I also think that's fun. Where you know we now, I think these are the first two direct overlaps with a film club. Maybe touching the void was the first one. Oh, yeah. We talked about yeah. the book and we've I'm almost positive we've talked about it in an early film club. Mm -hmm. But now we have Werner Herzog who did the Fitzcarraldo yeah. the movie that you picked previously. And then of course Heat to Michael Mann yeah. back to Heat and yeah. some some overlaps right, uh, right. Uh, there. But this sounds fascinating. And I I definitely have heard of this story. I remember like reading about yeah. it about this uh, soldier. Uh so this is uh this is great. I should definitely pick that up as yeah. well. Yeah. All right, you got one more. I got one more and it's going to seem like a crazy pick to some of you, depending on your age. But I have found that a lot of people my age or younger skipped this book. Mm. And I think that's a mistake. Mm. Um, I was read this book when I was four or five. Uh, and my my father simply edited it out a lot of the um, <laughs> uh, like chaos theory stuff that like a five-year-old's not going to attach to. And, oh. and you're now probably guessing what this book is. But I'm I'm going to read the description and then hit you with the title. 
an astonishing technique for recovering and cloning dinosaur DNA has been discovered. (laughs) Now humankind's most thrilling fantasies have come true. Creatures extinct for eons roam Jurassic Park with their awesome presence and profound mystery, and all the world can visit them for a price. Mm. This is Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. And the number of times that I've recommended it to people, like, like I said, my age or like in the 10 years behind me, and you just go like, oh, I, I saw the movie, and I was like, yeah, this was a this was a borderline religion for me when I was a kid. Huh. Huh. I loved these books. My dad read me a ton of Michael Crichton as I was learning to read more simple books, five, six, seven, eight, nine, that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, there was a stack, and we went through Sphere and Airframe, and hmm. uh, uh, you know all, all of them. But it, like a special, deeply special spot in my heart, especially for the Lost World, the second in the Jurassic Park series. Um, but if this is one where you've only seen the movie, yeah, I think you're missing out. Oh. Crichton's not necessarily my favorite writer, but man, can the guy tell a story? Mm. Uh, and it's just a, it's it's a you just sit down and crush it. You're gonna have a great time. It's an awesome story, and there's elements of it that are really, really well portrayed by the film, and elements that they entirely skip huh. because it's a film. Right? Huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I highly recommend it, especially the two for of Jurassic Park and Lost World. I really loved Lost World, and when that movie came out, it was a game changer for me. Huh. Mercedes Benz SUVs, you know, <laughs> cool technology out in the jungle. That was a great movie. I remember just freaking out over that, and you know, before it came out, we went through the book and may seem like a crazy pick obviously a a hugely popular film and book but if for whatever reason you skipped out on the book or you're a little on the younger side of of say the you know mean of jason and i uh, and missed it entirely the movie is incredible flat out incredible great movie Mm -hmm. the book's even better well that's good to know i don't you can count me as one who's only seen the movie but um i the only thing i've read by Crichton, he did a uh, I had picked up a book of nonfiction kind of travel stories that he did and, and oh, they were really? great. Yeah. He was a, a fairly avid diver. Uh, I think there's even a chapter about him diving in Bonaire, uh, which was relevant to me at the time. Um, but I enjoyed the writing. I enjoyed his kind of adventurous spirit and I agree about the, the movie. And I just think the story concept, even as you were reading it, I was almost getting goosebumps. The, the, oh, it's so good. the description of it. I mean, what a brilliant story idea. And this is what makes you know a good author like talking about Hadfield with the Apollo murders kind of same story like come up with a, just a brilliant uh captivating storyline I mean wh- what a great idea to be able to you know recreate dinosaurs from DNA and and this is this is entirely kind of relevant these days I mean I read a story just last week about how they've they're, they're working on you know recreating the, the extinct Tasmanian tiger from from DNA I mean it's it's this kind of stuff is, uh, you know, a lot of it's coming true or, or coming close, and and uh, yeah, what a great concept! I'm 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 gonna hunt this one down, and I'm sure it can be had for very little little money. It's probably in oh, like one yeah, of those little sure. library neighborhood library boxes. Yeah, uh, definitely right now. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I guarantee if you walk into a thrift store, yeah, you're gonna find a copy. Oh, totally. Yeah, get in there, get it for a buck. I can even you picture the cover. There's no better you know? value, <laughs> like with the Tyrannosaurus mm-hmm. Rex skull in in silhouette on the cover. Oh, yeah. exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just a huge fan, big Michael Crichton fan. I, you know, like I said, like I don't, I don't think he necessarily brought to the table the greatest writing. Um, certainly, you know, we're following statements from Capote. I don't yeah. think we're necessarily in the same vein there. Mm-hmm. But from a storytelling aspect, yeah, goodness sakes, he could do a great job. Yeah. Sphere is an incredible piece of huh. science fiction writing. Huh. Huh. Movie didn't work. Very complicated thing to try and put on on film, but hmm. Sphere's great, and uh, 
and yeah, I'm, I'm just throwing it out there for the folks, the, the handful of you in the audience who maybe didn't get to Jurassic Park. And if you haven't seen the movie, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to paint your Jeep. So You're going to paint your Jeep with the Jurassic Park colors. <laughs> I, I remember that when, when I first moved to, uh, to Vancouver there, and, and I'm sure there's a chance somebody in the audience knows this fella, <laughs> but uh, you know, going up to Squamish to visit my brother who was in Whistler at the time, you go up to Squamish in Brackendale, which is like a sister town just North of Squamish. You almost can't tell the two are necessarily divided. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Brackendale, there was like a, a recreation of, <laughs> the you know the jeep from you yeah. know must go faster must go yeah, faster the, yeah, the yeah. t-rex chase down the road oh that's great uh there's one of those and i i always get a kick out of that i mean i was i was going through boxes when we moved and like i still have the like dino damage ford explorer oh yeah 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 where like a piece <laughs> of it will pop off where the where the t-rex hits it and, oh that's great and that sort of thing and there's so much of that movie that's like seminal to me like if anybody it, even today like if somebody picks up a watch around me yeah and goes oh it's it's heavy yeah and it always just leads me back to that conversation he has with the the kid has with the lawyer about the night vision goggles huh. are they heavy yeah then they're expensive put them down <laughs> <laughs> just a great movie great, great movie yeah. great book yeah. and it makes me happy like just one of the fondest parts of my childhood was going through these so many books with my dad some of which were Crichton. yeah and uh and just loving i remember just being obsessed with the idea and then, you know, watching the movie for the first time, we went for my birthday the year after the movie came out. It was playing at like, what's the giant screen? IMAX or something? Or IMAX, thank yeah. you. It was playing at IMAX and uh, and we went and saw it as like a birthday treat. I'd probably seen the movie 30 or 40 oh, wow. times by nice. then. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was a big, big fan, certainly. So uh, the and the book fits in nicely. It's one I, I should definitely just consider going back and rereading. Yeah. As I probably haven't read it in 15 years or more. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. But those are the three. Jason, you picked The Apollo Murders by Chris Hatfield, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, and The Twilight World by Werner Herzog. Three uh, very different books, and and one that I've with the, with In Cold Blood, I just I just listening to you talk about, it, I had to buy it. Yeah, yeah, good good call. And and your picks were Rogues: True Stories of Grifters, Killers, Rebels, and Crooks by Patrick Radden Keith, Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton, Heat Two, Michael Mann, and Med, Meg Gardner. Yeah, I yep. think I'm gonna have to track down Jurassic Park of the of the three you mentioned. That one, um, I don't know, just just kind of the tie in with what I was saying about Apollo murders and kind of good, you know, just good storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm kind of in the mood for that sort of thing, and I love that concept. Yeah, good, nice. All right, let's uh, let's put a bow on it with some final notes. You want to go first? Sure. Yeah, mine isn't really you know any anything specific other than some a bit of news uh, from you know someone who's been on TGN twice now, uh, Laurent Balesta, who we met uh, in France just a few weeks back. Uh, Laurent is of course uh, uh, an ambassador of, of sorts for Blancpain, of course, uh, celebrated marine biologist and photographer. And the big news is he won the Wildlife Photographer of the Year. Uh, for a record second time uh, recently. And, and this was kind of a big deal. This is a, an annual award that's put on by the Natural History Museum in, in London. Um, a very prestigious award for wildlife photographers. And Laurent uh, deservedly won this for a series of photos that he took of uh, golden horseshoe crabs uh, in, in, near the Philippines. And, you know, here's a guy who you know he's he's taken such such a incredible amount of great photos over the years that you know I can I can picture them in my head the, the 700 sharks hunting uh, in, in the night oh, in yeah. Fakarava there's the groupers spawning I think that was the one that he won mm-hmm. the previous award for um, you know just just under the Antarctic ice etc and and here he is 
kind of in the dark in kind of a muddy, you know, seabed, uh, shooting these very prehistoric, but very humble, elusive and endangered creatures, these horseshoe crabs scuttling along the seabed and, and everything about this photo, the, the amount of detail he gets, um, the lighting is perfect. The, the creatures themselves are fascinating and, and the series of photos that, that he won for are, are just astounding. And, you know, I just, I just thought, um, it, it was in the news quite a bit over the past week. Uh, but in case you, d- you didn't see that, um, definitely we'll throw a link in the show notes to the kind of the official announcement, but, uh, just track down the, those photos and take a look at what he did. And, and they're, they're really amazing. And, you know, congrats to Laurent from, from us and, uh, just, uh, mm-hmm. just such an amazing Big job. Congrats. So really, really good. It's a rad photo of a very cool animal. Yeah. Yeah. Good work as always. Can't really be surprised by that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, he seems to just be capable of doing whatever he puts his mind to. So yeah. an, another incredible photo and, and a well-deserved award, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mine's a totally different pick this week. It's just something that I've gotten back into. So I, I wanted to find a new way to kind of focus back on the rowing machine with, yeah. with, you know, the outside time starting to wane. Yeah. Um, I want to be, I, I, I'm not saying I'm running out of time to be outside, but I want to have like a new practice mm-hmm. in hand yeah. before it starts to snow. So luckily, uh, just as this was kind of on my mind, uh, a YouTube channel I really like for rowing and fitness stuff, Training Tall, started the series they're calling Row 20. And so it's 20 days in a row. Each of them are 20 minutes long. So you can do a couple if you want to, or if you just have 20 minutes. Um, I think a 20 minute you add in a shower, that's a half hour, right? You're in and out and you got your workout done. Yeah. Um, so I'm three days into it so far. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, it's 20, 25 minutes, maybe tops on the machine. And they're all a variety of, of activities to kind of get you into probably zone two, zone three, maybe towards the end in terms of heart rate workouts mm-hmm. and uh, work on your form. So there's a lot of like slow cadence rowing, which I find difficult. I think a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, where you maintain a certain speed, but they progressively ladder down like to 16, 14 strokes a minute. Yeah. Um, which, you know, if you want to hold the same speed at 16 that you're doing at 24, that's an entirely different workout essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've really been enjoying it. And if you've got a rowing machine at home or you're rowing machine curious, now's a great time to snap one up used. That's what I did. I bought a, a water rower based on uh, Jason's recommendation and support of, of of the system, and have been super happy with it. About a little clamp and arm that holds my iPad. Oh, nice! Um, and so I have one screen that's the computer, and it's separate from the one I wear uh, a Garmin uh, when I row to to measure and track everything, which I like quite a bit. And then I have the iPad there to watch to watch the training tall series. So it's it's been good. And if you were looking for a reason to get back on your maybe a little bit dusty rowing machine after a summer outside. Uh, I think this is a good way to jump into it, and it's very beginner friendly. I kind of started a couple in um, as I, I didn't feel like I needed to do the initial assessment, but then from there, I've been really enjoying two, three, four, and and on. Yeah, this is great. I I just subscribed because uh, I, <laughs> as you just said, I I dusted off uh, literally dusted off uh, my water rower uh, last week. We had kind of a rainy day; it's getting colder, and I just needed some some quick exercise. And um, I guess the difficulty I do have with with rowing workouts is kind of structure. And so oftentimes I'll just kind of lazily just sort of cruise back and forth, either at a really, you know, one speed kind of a high rate or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably not maximizing the, the benefit of it. So this is uh, this is really cool. Definitely going to set up my laptop nearby and, and do it. 
Yeah, and, and, and I think it's also like a 20-minute row really complements another workout. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, is it like I really enjoy doing the 20 minute row and then one of my Bowflex workouts and that mm-hmm. now you're in for maybe 35 to 40 minutes. Yeah. So it's a little bit longer, Yeah. but you get kind of both and neither, like there's not so much, um, it like the, the rowing workout feels a bit like a weight workout. So then by the time you get to the weights, it, it kind of, you're warmed up that way. Um, yeah, yeah I've been liking it. It's good. Yeah. Good. Nice. Well, there we go. Book Club 3, I guess we'll call it. We'll double check that number. I'll go go back and make sure, but I'm pretty sure it's Book Club 3. I uh, haven't, haven't done one in a while, but it was good. Yeah, and we had some uh, some fun picks, a little different picks than, than usual. I think we, we used to kind of veer more towards the kind of polar disasters and mountaineering escapades and whatever, and I think this one had a little bit of fiction in it. Uh, yeah, good, yeah, good fun. So till till next Book Club, uh, that'll that'll keep people busy for a while, I hope. Yeah, we'll see in something like 100 episodes or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> do hope everybody enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, as always, thanks so much for listening. If you want to subscribe to the show notes, get into the comments for each episode, or consider supporting the show directly, and maybe even grab a new TGN signed NATO, please visit thegraynato.com. And then you can join the, the Slack community and, and put your own book recommendations in there too. The music throughout is Siesta by Jazzar via the free music archive. And we leave you with this quote from Fran Leibowitz, who said, Think before you speak, read before you think.